for this show, as you would maybe imagine, I actually do some research and I do some investigating. But, you know, my general life revolves around watching YouTube videos from a few specific investors that I follow that I like. I like watching interviews of famous investors, the late, great Charlie Munger. I watch a lot of stuff on Ray Dalio. I watch Warren Buffett. I'm paying attention to Bloomberg, to CNBC, to a lot of different news outlets. And a few different people that I follow for investing ideas and infotainment, they share their portfolios each week. And this type of accountability I find like pretty interesting because each week you see if the individual investor sticks to their plan, are they executing what they're telling you they want to do? Or are they a little bit more like me? And are they prone to the next shiny object in the investing world? So today, I figured I would at least have a little fun, maybe, or at least do some due diligence on my own portfolio, my own investments, and see how I am doing. Am I the world's biggest hypocrite? We'll probably find out yes. But anyway, so in this episode, we're going to look through my portfolio, my various different investing accounts, and I'm going to tell you what investments I have and what I'm holding and if I can remember why I got into them and do I still like this investment for my long-term plan because as Glenn and I have been writing uh, our investing book, I have really been able to synthesize kind of what my strategy is. It maybe didn't have as much tangible you know, process thought behind it. And now it actually seems like it does when you actually have to explain to somebody what your investment thesis is specifically for individual shares, not just ETFs. I feel like the broad market ETF is easy. It's something that literally if you trained a chimpanzee, they could figure out how to open up a brokerage account and click on buy the S&P 500 fund or buy the ASX 200 fund. And they would generate wealth if they continued to dollar cost average on a consistent basis. If you make more you spend less and you invest the difference, I think the markets have proven to be efficient enough over the long term that you will build wealth. But in terms of small individual shares, maybe some smaller portion portfolios, I like to try to outpace the market. I want to challenge myself to find companies that I like and companies that I want to invest in and companies that I think will be long-term beneficial for both my portfolio and for the world. So today we're going to go over the seven or eight accounts that I have active investments in and that I've got my dirty little paws on. And we'll see if I'm bad, if I'm real bad, or if I'm just plain out terrible at investing. You're listening to This Is Investing, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. Let's get into it. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So between my wife and I, we have eight different retirement and investing accounts. Both of us have a Roth IRA, which is post-tax money that will be for retirement account. My wife has a retirement account at her work that we get to select the investments on. Uh, She has an old retirement account from a previous job that we choose the investments for. We have a combined investing brokerage account that is taxable money. We have a trading account, which I'll talk about. I manage a small trust account for my 
myself and two siblings. And then I have a brokerage account for my car fund. So instead of paying a car note, I pay money into an investing account and we try to make that work. And I'll get into that towards the end of the show. But let's start off today with my individual retirement account, my IRA. It is 100% in the S&P 500 index fund. The SPY is the ticker. Why? Oh, why do I have all of my money in SPY? Look at me, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Well, the S&P 500 fund, as I've talked about surely till I've been blue in the face before, is one of my favorite funds. My investing guru, my hero in investing, Warren Buffett, says that if you don't really know what you're doing, put your money in the S&P 500 fund, bet on the long-term growth of the American market and the 500 best companies within it, and you will build wealth over time. So when I was starting out in investing, I don't know, 20-some-plus years ago in my retirement account, I said, why not just listen to old Warren and invest in the SPY? The SPY is a, a product from Spider Company. It's an ETF trust, which again tracks the S&P 500, 500 of the best companies. In 2023, it was up around 24, 25%. Pretty, pretty well there for the one-year track. It bounced back very well coming off a bad 2022. Again, you're looking at a, a broad index. You're investing in some of the best companies in the world. You're, you're betting that companies are going to do well in the American markets, made up of 29% technology, 12%-ish healthcare, 12%-ish financials, 11% consumer cyclical, 9% communications, 8% industrials, 6% consumer defensive, 4% energy, 2.5% both real estate and utilities, and basic materials. If you've been paying attention to the news, you probably know that seven of the top 10 holdings are known as the Magnificent Seven. And it is a, the S&P 500 is a weighted portfolio. So you have, it's not just like each company of 500 gets 1% or something. It's, they all have weights depending on how big they are. So the largest companies in the world get more of the value weight of the S&P. So you, top holdings are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Google, Meta, Google again. Tesla, Berkshire Hathaway, and Broadcom. Google has two because they have two different class shares. They have both a A share and a B share and a C share. So be honest, they've got three shares. But in the SPY, you've got the A shares and the C shares. So the top 10 holdings of the S&P 500, the SPY fund that I specifically put my money in are, it's a weighted average index. So the larger the companies are, the more that those holdings actually bear weight and the more that they're going to be in the particular fund itself. So if you're looking at the S&P 500, the top 10 companies in it are as follows. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Google, Class A shares, Meta Performance, you guys know Meta, uh, Google again with a Class C share, so you've got two different types of Google, totaling almost 4% of the SPY, Tesla, Berkshire Hathaway, and Broadcom round out. And then there are 504 total holdings right now in the S&P 500. So that is my specific individual retirement account, and it probably always will be. Um, I add as much money as they allow me to each year, which is $6,500 in the year 2023. I think it's going up to 7000 in 2024. And I will put that money in on a monthly basis, and I will buy more S&P 500. And 
I think it will do very well by the time I come to retire. Okay, let's move on to the next specific fund. This one gets a little spicier. This is my wife's individual retirement account. And this is the one where no money is coming from her employer. Again, it's just money that my wife Rebecca and I have put into this account over the years. And this one is 50% Costco, 25% Microsoft, and currently 25% cash. Why? Well, if you've listened to this show for a while, you probably know the thing I love besides the S&P 500 more is the company Costco. Costco is one of my, probably my favorite company. I've been both a consumer and a member at Costco for quite a long time. I owned their stock um, years ago, like 10 years ago, and I made a real stupid mistake. And I don't know if I've shared this on this before. I bought Costco and I was picturing myself a little bit of a shares purchasing and selling Savant. And I said, you know what? Like, it doesn't look like Costco's doing all that great around Christmas. And I know they've got earnings at the early next year. I'm going to sell my shares of Costco. And when their earnings come out bad and their stock price drops, I will buy back my shares of Costco at a cheaper price. I will save myself a loss and I will gain more shares for the same amount of money. I don't remember the exact number, but I think I sold Costco at like 275 a share. Guess what? They had great earnings. When you decide to try to play earnings, you are playing a fool's game. You just need to let things ride out. If you like the company, if you like the stock, stick with it. Don't be trying to like make little teeny moves. Just let the long term play itself out. Well, I didn't do that. I sold my shares thinking I'd buy them back cheaper. They had great earnings. It skyrocketed, and it took me forever to get back in because I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for the stock to fall, and it seems to never fall. So again, about 10 years ago or so, I sold Costco for $275. Today, Costco is trading at $667 per share. Yikes. Anyway, I bought back in in my wife's Roth IRA account. 50% of her entire account is made up of Costco. It's not like a crazy amount of money, but it's a decent-sized portion of her portfolio. The other 25% that's not cash is in Microsoft. As you know, Microsoft has done very well recently. I think Microsoft is positioned to continue to do well. It looks expensive right now, but I feel like I learned my lesson with Costco when I thought Costco was expensive at 275 and I sold it thinking I would get it in better. Um, it never came back. It's up more than almost $400 per share when I sold it and tried to time the market. So instead of timing the market as much, I am just trying to roll with the market. Both Costco and Microsoft have kind of higher PE ratios than a lot of individual shares buyers would like, giving them a kind of lower valuation. In fact, Seeking Alpha has the Microsoft as a D- minus for valuation but they've got them at an A-plus profitability. They have B momentum. They have them B in revisions. They have a buy on the analysis and a strong buy on Wall Street. So I am sticking with Microsoft. Now, why do I have 25% cash in that portfolio? I don't think cash is a great idea to have in a retirement account because you're not making money, and it's a long-term strategy. But again, for this type of account, you have to put in money each month or each year. And I've just felt that evaluations are getting a little bit high, so I'm waiting for a moment. I'm waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting for a specific purchase price, something to fall back to earth. Again, I don't think it's necessarily coming in the form of another crash. It's very unlikely for you to go from a 
bear market to a bull market to a bear market this soon. But I think it might maybe take a little bit of a pullback, maybe a 5 to 6%, maybe if we're lucky, a 10% pullback. And that would give me a buying opportunity on either Costco or Microsoft because that will probably be all we ever hold in that particular account. All right, let's move on. Nick's third account. And I got to speed my butt up if I'm going to get through all these accounts. 401k rollover. This is a, a retirement account that was at my wife's employer that when she left the job, she took the account with her and she now self-manages or I self-manage for her. Again, it's 50% cash, which is too much cash to have, but I'm waiting for an opportunity. And then 50% of stocks invested in the following. Canadian Pacific Railways, MasterCard, Microsoft, PayPal, and an ETF by Vanguard called VGT, the Vanguard Growth Fund. VGT is similar, if you would, to the NASDAQ 100. A lot of times I'll talk about the QQQ, but the Vanguard Information Technology Index, which is the VGT, specifically narrows in on the information technology where a lot of the NASDAQ and the QQQ have 100 of the kind of more tech type stocks, but the VGT narrows very specifically into information technology specifically. So you're holding a bunch of different information technology companies, which again is all the rage. That's everyone who's making money right now, it seems like. So I don't think this is really a trend per se, but it might not be like a 10-year hold, but I might be looking at VGT for the next five, seven, it could be 10 years. The top 10 holdings in VGT, which is a very concentrated fund, it has 300 holdings. The top 10 are Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Broadcom, Adobe, Salesforce, Accenture, Cisco, AMD, and Oracle. So as those companies do well, VGT does well, and hopefully my wife's retirement does well. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about a little bit more specific at-work retirement account. We're going to get into my trading account. Let's see if my day trading is going well. Hint, it's not. Uh, we'll talk about investing and then my car fund. So stick with this quick message and we will be right back. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, so I blew that. I should have done the break afterwards. But who well? Who cares? This is where we are. I should have done all the retirement and then the non-retirement. That would have worked out well. But you know what? This show isn't about perfection. This show is about learning. And I'm learning how to do a podcast still. Let's keep going. My wife is currently a nurse, and she works at 
she takes care of wonderful little premature babies, and she makes the world a better place through her wonderful knowledge of nursing skills and keeping babies, helping them get healthy. I, therefore, try to make wise decisions with our investing portfolio so that all of that hard work doesn't go to waste. So in her retirement account at the hospital that she works at, the breakdown is all mutual funds. 66% of her retirement account at the hospital is made out of Vanguard's Institutional Index Fund, which, again, is just an S&P 500 fund. But the great thing, it's tracking the S&P 500 The great thing is it has a 0.02% expense ratio, which is the lowest expense ratio I've ever seen on a fund that does well that tracks the S&P 500. Thank you, Vanguard. The next 7% of her portfolio, again, is Vanguard, but it's an international index fund. And it's tracking the MSCI Global Index minus American companies. So there's no American companies in this. It has an expense ratio of 0.07. It's doing very well. 3% of her portfolio is principal groups global real fund to be honest when we got this like they gave us a little piece of paper and i had to just look at this piece of paper and make some investments so most of you know again 66 percent is in the s&p 500 seven percent is international i thought this was a reit i thought this three percent of her portfolio was going into a reit the way it was like made small on this little piece of paper as we were picking these investments. But now that we've gotten the internet access to look into the fund and make changes and looking at this episode, I realize it's a real asset fund, which holds bonds, gold, and utility companies. And it's designed to be a hedge against what would otherwise be a pretty aggressive portfolio. Unfortunately, I just don't want those things. So I put 3% of her portfolio thinking it was a REIT and it's a real asset fund And immediately after this podcast is over, I'm going to sell that and put it probably into the S&P 500 fund. Let's move on. There is. She has a 6% holding in Vanguard's small cap fund, which I find very attractive right now. It seeks to track the Russell's 2000, which is 2,000 of the small cap companies in the United States. It has a 0.04% expense ratio. She has 1% in an Artisan small cap fund. Why does she have two small cap funds? Again, remember the conversation about the stupid little piece of paper that we had to fill out to get these things going? That's why. Well, when I logged in and I saw that it also seeks to track the Russell 2000, but has a way higher expense ratio, 1.2%. may not sound like a lot, but the other small cap from Vanguard is 0.04. This one is 1.2. That is a lot. And as soon as I read this, I logged on. I hit pause. I sold the artisan small cap. I sold the real asset fund. I put that into the international index and the S&P 500 because unsurprisingly, not only was I paying 1.2% for this artisan small cap fund, it was also way underperforming the Vanguard index itself. Uh, This is why I like passive index funds. They're cheap. They just go with the market and hopefully Bogle is right and the market is efficient. Overall, I'm pretty happy with this particular mix now that I've gotten rid of the Artisan and the Real Fund. Uh, The Real Fund, the one that holds the gold utilities, even though gold had a great year, oil was that kind of up and down, and that fund was down 11% this year, but because it was such a small part of the portfolio, that really didn't matter. And the overall portfolio of that mix was up 24%, so basically mimic what happened in my account, which was just one fund, the S&P 500. Either way, I like the small cap exposure because... Although the S&P 500 and NASDAQ both hit all-time highs in 2023 in December, 
The small cap index, which is the Russell 2000, is still about 17% away. So there is some potential to get not only back up to all-time highs, but hopefully above that and create new ones as well. So my thought is small caps may be a good pick for 2024. Moving right along, let's talk real quick about the trading account. I have some money allocated to a trading-only account, and it's an extra account because I don't want to have my long-term investments mixed up with my trading. So actually, even though they're both at the same brokerage and I can just one-click switch from account to account, I want this money very specific so that I don't touch other money. In my trading account, it is sounds just like what it's for. It's for trading. I'm a part of a day trading Discord with some really good analysts, and for this specific account, I follow them into A-plus day trade and swing trade setups. The day trading side has been nearly non-existent. I have wasted a lot of time sitting by the computer doing other work, waiting for a day trade to come across. But inevitably, as soon as somebody who is working hard on the other end finds an A-plus setup, I take a bathroom break, I get a phone call, I have a meeting, something happens serendipitously in the world where I miss almost every single A-plus day trade setup. And every time I walk away from my desk, it is like clockwork. They make two or $3,000 in like 30 minutes, and I have FOMO, and I get upset, and it's probably not worth it. But anyway, there have been some good swing trades in this particular account, so that's probably made up for it. Most of the trades I've actually made have been swing trades, and the swing trades recently, like I'll give you a couple examples, and then we'll move on because I don't have any long-term holdings right now. It's just cash. There's absolutely nothing happening in this account to talk about. But I had um, done some swings. I did a swing on IWM. So back in November 10th, uh, the analysts sent out that buy shares of IWM because they had created a double bottom, which in technical analysis is a specific type of pattern that you look for that creates kind of a bull signal. So the alert went out and said, hey, buy shares of IWM. So I bought shares of IWM. And from that trade alone, it's up 22% to the end of the year in 2023. Other trades that jumped in recently were some call options on Unity Software. Those call options went up 65% in a week. I only bought two options that like 50 bucks each. So I only made like $120, but hey, 65% sounds really good. And had I had more guts and bought 10 options instead of two, I would have been more happy. And then finally, recently sold a cash secured put on Tesla, which paid me $500 to hold that option for six weeks. It was never exercised. So I kept the $500 and moved on with my life. Let's talk about investing. The investing portfolio I'll get a little bit more yammery on because I want to talk a little bit about what I'm looking for in individual shares. I'm looking for high quality companies and I add them into my portfolio after they've hit a certain criteria. And this criteria, again, as I talked about, has been kind of synthesized as Glenn, I've been writing this book and I realized I was looking at different numbers, but I've actually kind of put them down and they're in my brain now and I'm following and very strictly following this strategy. I decline some very good businesses because they don't fit my strategy. I want specific things. These businesses are more often than not gatekeepers and industry leaders. They are top companies in their industries, and therefore, sometimes they are more expensive to buy, i.e. Microsoft, but they are repeatedly compounding. So here we go. Here are some of the things I'm looking for when I get into my investing account buying individual shares. I invest in companies that I like and companies that I know. I don't invest in every company that I like, but I'm probably not going to invest in a company that I don't like or that I don't know. 
Companies that I use on a daily basis are Apple and Google and Costco and Amazon and Chipotle and Uber and Airbnb. Maybe not Airbnb every day, but you know, whatever. Microsoft and MasterCard and Visa and the list could go on and on and on. And I like these companies and I think they are good companies run by good people. So that's kind of my starting point. Okay, find good big companies I like. Let's go down to the next thesis. Will they hit my kind of parameters of buying a company? I buy high quality companies and focus on long-term durable earnings and cash flow. Yeah, you should, right? But this isn't always obvious. Some people just focus in on a price to earnings ratio. They look at maybe six specific ratios and they're like, okay, the PE, the PEG, yada, yada, yada. And they have this cigar butt mentality that Ben Graham focused in on, very quantitative analysis, which is fine and it works. And sometimes you can find very good value from even crappy companies, but this isn't what I'm specifically looking for when I look to buy shares in a small portfolio of companies, a very concentrated portfolio. I'm looking for long-term durable earnings. So when someone looks at the price earnings and talks about the price of the company and it's gotten cheaper, we know that price isn't everything. I mean, a Ford is a car and yes, it's going to be cheaper than a Ferrari, but that doesn't mean that the Ford is better than the Ferrari just because it's cheaper. Many investors, especially investors who try to follow Warren Buffett or people like that, maybe Peter Lynch, are focused on multiples a company is trading at. And the buying decision is based on the short-term PE multiple and not long-term because they haven't really dug into Warren Buffett. They're just thinking of like, how can I buy a cheap company? Well, looking back at that PE section I talked about, if it's under 20, people think that and they deem it to be a good value. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good buy for your portfolio. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good buy for mine. Because there's one time when Buffett started working with Charlie Munger and he changed from this Ben Graham cigar butt mentality to a forward-looking EPS, earnings per share mentality. And at a Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, he kind of quoted Charlie right in front of Charlie. He says, it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. Charlie talked Warren into buying better companies, even if they looked more expensive. So I'm looking for compounders. I'm buying companies that are great long-term buying that will compound earnings year over year because earnings are what pushes stock price. So when I look for a compounder, I'm looking for a return on capital invested. I want that to be above 20%. I want the gross margins of the thing that they're selling or servicing to be above 50%. I want operating profit margin above 20%. Cash conversion, at least 85%. The higher the cash conversion of a company, the better, which means they're investing their cash wisely. And then least kind of important in my eyes, but I still have it on my box to tick, although it can just kind of be a sort of, it's not a definite, is interest cover, which is profits compared to interest paid out. I'm looking for that to be over 10x. So in my investing portfolio, the companies that I have purchased and the companies that I currently hold that fit this metrics are as follows. I decided this year to stop trying to just beat Warren Buffett and just join him. So I have owned Berkshire Hathaway B shares. The B shares are like 350 per share compared to the A shares, about half a million per share. So the B shares are what I own. My second holding is CELH, which is Celsius Holdings, the beverage maker. And this particular stock actually hit my radar from the trading group that I'm in. They were doing some options calls and I looked at CELH and then I looked into their 
fundamentals and their growth and their earnings and their valuation. And I decided I didn't just want to do a small swing trade on Celsius. I actually wanted to buy Celsius. So I did. And I purchased some shares of Celsius for my long-term investing portfolio. My third holding is Canadian Pacific Railways. Again, it's a great company that's compounding. It was actually down this year, which made it a great purchasing opportunity. So I have Canadian Pacific. They are in the midst of connecting Canada, the United States, and Mexico via rail. And as you know, rail is the cheapest way to transport stuff among on land. So CP, Canadian Pacific, is one of my buys. Devon Energy, they explore natural gas and oil. They fit all of my metrics. And then I have... Vici, V-I-C-I, which is a real estate investment trust. They own tons of great properties in Las Vegas. It is a very interesting REIT. They do not own the companies, but properties like the Venetian and MGM Grand, those specific hotel, the physical buildings themselves in the land they own, and then MGM and the Venetian rent from them. So they don't need the profits on the gambling to be exponential. They just need it to be good enough so that they can pay the bills and then they get paid. And then I have one ETF rounding it out. I own the Charles Schwab SCHG, which is the Charles Schwab growth. And SCHG is a little bit different than some of the other large cap growth ETFs out there that I've already kind of mentioned because they are a little bit more concentrated and diverse. They aren't just a NASDAQ ETF, they can buy from the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. So you get a little bit more diversity and it's not just concentrated on technology. You get any company that they deem specific for their growth, they buy that. So the Charles Schwab SCHG. And that rounds out my investing portfolio. I have two other portfolios that I manage the trust, as I talked about. Uh, many of those are the exact same companies that I have owned, with the exception of one flyer I have. And then finally, I have two more specific brokerage accounts that I own. I don't know if you're interested in this, but I'm going to keep talking about it. <laughs> Here we go. I will go through quickly the trust. Sadly, uh, my mom, who was a hero of mine, she was the most patient and gentle and kind soul the world has probably ever known. And I know that I'm putting her up there with Mother Teresa, and that's okay, because I think that she was. Anyway. My mom passed away a few years ago, and she had a small life insurance policy, and then she left that money to my brother, my sister, and myself. We decided to put that money into a trust with a 7- to 10-year time horizon on it. We all promised kind of we wouldn't touch the money for that long, and it gives us time to make a little bit more aggressive investments in the portfolio. So here is the portfolio for the trust. Canadian Pacific Railways, Cisco Systems, Devon Energy, MasterCard, Microsoft, Kind of the one outlier here that I haven't already owned in a different portfolio is SoFi, which is a fintech company, but actually they're official bank now. They bought a bank. I only have 100 shares of SoFi. I kind of wish I would have bought more because in 2023 in that position, I was up 52%. And then for the majority of the holdings of the trust, I have shares of QQQ, which is the NASDAQ 100, and then Charles Schwab's dividend ETF, SCHD, which has 100 different high-quality dividend-paying companies. So that one, I'm looking for growth as well as dividend portfolios. So most of those companies fit my metric for compounders, except for SoFi. But SoFi is like a small little bet on a potential long-term company. I figure it'd be worth a shot. 
Lastly, the car fund has many of the same types of investments that I have in the other things. But the car fund for me is specifically, it's a seven to 10 year time horizon. And each month I add money into the account like I'm paying my car note, except for that instead of paying a bank interest, I'm paying myself for the next foreseeable future. The idea is that once my car is about 10 years old, yes, I drive old cars. My last car made it to 14 years before someone stole it, <laughs> and then I had to buy another car. But the goal here is to get it to about 10 years old and then sell the car and then buy a car that's about two or three years old and then drive it for another 10 years or so. So once I've driven the car 10 years and it's about 12 or 13 years old, I sell the car, I'll sell some investments that I have in this portfolio, and I will pay for the car outright in cash. And finishing up today, that portfolio has five different holdings. The iShares S&P 500, but focused on growth. So it's the same companies in the S&P 500, but they diversify differently so that it's more growth-oriented. I have two different REITs in there. O, which is Realty Income Corporation, and then Plymouth, which is a small industrial REIT. I own Charles Schwab SCHD, the dividend, just like I have in the trust. And then this is the only time, as you may have noticed, that I have bonds. I bought SHY, which is an ETF of iShares Trust one to three year treasury bonds from the United States Treasury. I waited for bonds to kind of bottom out in the Fed to decide that they were probably not going to raise rates anymore, thinking that this will be the one time probably in my lifetime that bonds actually appreciate in value themselves and get you a good dividend yield as well. So in my car fund is the only place that I currently hold any form of bond. That's it, guys. That is the eight accounts that I oversee, that I trade, that I manage, that I make hopefully good decisions on. I feel like I have concentrated portfolio in well set up growth compounding companies. But I would like to hear what you think. Do you think I'm a doof? Do you think I'm blowing it? Are you worried about my mental health? Hit me up on the Facebook group and we can talk about it from there. Until then, you've been listening to This Is Investing, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. We'll see you next week. This podcast is produced and published by Oregon Trail Investor in the USA. All information is for entertainment purposes only. The brand, This Is Investing, is used under license.